Welcome to Sin City. Get ready for in-depth chat on new releases, iconic films, and plenty more for you cinephiles. Only on CMRU.ca and Feel Loud Images. And now, to your host, Nick Manenses. everybody you're listening to sin city i am your host nick manessis and today my friends is a very special day because we will be reviewing the long anticipated the suicide squad nope not that one from 2016 i mean the one that came out no more than two weeks ago the suicide squad by james gunn and joining me all the way from houston texas is rico t allen hello the rico children Great to have you here. Now, this, as we all know, this film has been in the works since about 2017. And let me just say, it was worth the wait. So, to keep things a bit more structured, we'll be talking about different aspects. One, how is it an improvement from the last one? Two, the characters. And three, our overall thoughts on it. So, let's start with the first things first. How is it an improvement over its 2016 film? Well, for starters, I think they did a really good job with one of the cardinal, if not the cardinal rule of storytelling, which is show, don't tell, because we know it takes like about two minutes for us to know everything we need to know about Task Force X. And you know how long it took in the 2016 one? It took 10 fucking minutes. And they they literally have to spell out the characters' names on the screen and tell you everything, all their skills and attributes. But here- Showing you how to watch paint dry. Exactly right, because that's the thing about the film, the new one anyway. it doesn't talk down to us. It trusts that we can understand a simple, basic story. Right, right, right. Um, to add to that, the the um, the first Suicide Squad, simply monikered Suicide Squad, it kept holding your hand and showing you how to watch paint dry. We don't need to know how paint dries, my good people. <laughs> Like, look, you did not, you could trust the audience. You could trust the audience to know what's, and it took itself too serious. Right. To be honest, it took itself way too serious. So, yeah, um, James Gunn did what James Gunn does. He knows how to put the Deadpool-isms in stories that are very much wacky, but, like, it, it'll be serious in moments, but then it'll flip around to, like, just some some guts and, and, and um, carnage and you're like whoa, whoa, what the fuck was that <laughs> <laughs> very true my friend very true and on top of that one of the many 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 flaws the 2016 one had was again whoever wrote the script clearly hasn't heard of a little something called show don't tell and of course there's that speech this is katana she's got my back i would advise not getting killed by her her sword traps the souls of its victims it's never even brought up again and it doesn't add anything to the story moving on so on top of that 
the Suicide Squad. That opening scene, you know, where Team A heads to the island and, spoiler alert, by the way, most, most of them, namely Captain Boomerang, they get massacred in the first few minutes. That already hooked me. It showed that this movie is not playing. It's not pulling any punches. Nobody safe. Right. Like, people you thought was gonna survive are not. <laughs> right. Or as James Gunn puts it, don't get too attached. Cause, and and that is such another improvement also because this is the Suicide Squad. It's a literal suicide mission. And in the 2016 one, only one, two characters died: El Diablo and Slipknot. But we don't really know them very much. It doesn't add any weight. And at the end of it, most of them are alive. You know what I mean? Like, lack yeah. of consequences. You didn't, you didn't feel a, a heavy loss in the first one. Like, uh, can we be honest? Like, um, the first movie was, well, the, the David Ayer uh, directed Suicide Squad was very much, um, you didn't feel any, you didn't feel any, um, consequences you to feel like damn i really like that guy because the thing about it is is that even when you leave the movie you're like wait most of the people survived like now had their intentions was to keep were to keep the core group alive right you should have seeded um you should have they should have seeded a, a few people in there to be plot armor or MacGuffins from within, like, oh, yeah, that guy's gonna die. You're like, oh, he didn't die? Oh, okay, then, boom, oh, oh, God, he died. I like him, you know, but, you know, and uh, what James Gunn did here, he actually was willing to take people that you were expecting to stay on the board. Like, don't get me wrong, if you're you're any kind of intelligent person, you knew people were gonna die, but you, 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 the movie has the balls to actually do it. It did the thing, like, shout out to Loki. It did the thing. It did. It definitely did to perfection as well. On top of that, another thing that ties into all that is that in the Suicide Squad, no one, not a single character is wasted here. Even the ones who get shorter screen time, like the ones we meet during the opening scene, like um, Savant, uh, Javelin, Weasel, spoiler alert, he's not really dead, and Captain Boomerang. They get like little few minutes of screen time, but in that small amount of time they're really memorable and they contribute something to the team and it makes their their death their swan song very impactful at the same time right 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 because uh survive like like i said the movie kind of looking back at the movie in hindsight because i got i got a chance to watch it uh once as a once over and then uh, again kind of for levity if you look at it, when I looked at it the first time, I was like, oh, yeah, Michael Rooker? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, they're going to keep him around. And I don't know why I allowed myself to con myself into thinking that he was going to be safe just because, oh, yeah, that's James Gunn's boy. He's going to keep him around. Spoiler alert, he, um, he flew the coop. <laughs> he flew the fucking coop. He was like, when, when all the shit was going down and he saw the team getting folded, like a pair of glasses before bed. Uh, yeah, Savant tried to dip out. We didn't even see. We didn't even see Savant's power set. 
we, we didn't really right. we just saw yeah. this lens of oh my god oh my god he dips out and viola davis playing amanda waller is like holy shit just like yeah she and she is not afraid to blow blow your fucking head up no. and then the, the beautiful part about it is one thing if i could contrast one thing is that in the original well the old the uh, air version uh you notice that rick flag has access to the to the um to the bombs right right i feel like rick flag having access to the bombs is a bit uh it takes away the power of almost you know of uh Amanda Waller being <sighs> godlike over these people's lives. Right, right, that's so, true. I didn't even notice that. Wow. Yeah. So, like, even though she did have fail saves, Rick Flag was the one with the with the with the detonators. With the detonator, it's like if you give Flag the detonator, he just like the conversation he had with Deadshot, and he was he could have blown his head up for insubordination. What did he do? Oh, uh, well, you know, you do make a valid point. You can reason with somebody who's looking you in the face. Amanda Waller's look like if you notice, every time somebody threatened to kill her and they were in her face, they're more reasonable. But she's still mm-hmm. manipulating them. Exactly, right. Even if her life is, in, even if her life is in, on the line. Rick Flagg, on the other on the other hand, he's about he he's by the books. If you know mm-hmm. anything about the character, he is he's a he's by the books. And if he had the choice to kill somebody. Slipknot, he, that was it. Everybody knew Slipknot was going to die. Right, yeah, exactly. And on top of that, uh, Rick Flagg, he, you're right, he is the mo- like the moral center of the squad, like in a team full of anti-heroes and villains. Rick Flagg is the closest thing the team has to an, an actual good guy, really. So it wouldn't yeah, make like sense. He's like a staff sergeant over, you know, over these uh, recruit trainee super villains right exactly and um also while we're still on the subject here uh, yeah another massive and i mean massive improvement the suicide squad had over the air version was the threat they were facing because in the 2016 one the suicide squad who mean i remind you are a gang of that consists of some girl with a baseball bat a guy who can hurl boomerangs and a guy who's really good at guns face off against a powerful sorceress, uh, the Enchantress. Like this mission would f- be better if it focused on if it had the Justice League or even the Justice League Dark involved, because it doesn't really fit with the squad's talents, their skills. Not to mention, we had only two members of the squad who had actual powers. But here in the new one, their mission is just to destroy a laboratory. And this really fits with the squad's talents in the comics, where they had to face off against, you know, terrorists or black ops missions that wouldn't feel right with someone who had powers. Well, well, there's a case in point. Yeah, Starro, he was a giant monster and all that. But then again, the squad didn't know he was going to be part of it, the mission. It was, it was an espionage to, to destroy evidence, you know, Spoiler alert once again. You know what? I'm going to say there's there's going to be a, all spoilers. So if you came to listen to this with uh with non-spoilers, uh, newsflash, we're about to talk about it all. Sorrow was there to be destroyed as but kept alive to a certain degree. But America, he was being used as an American asset. And Amanda Waller, being who she is, is like, oh, no, we cannot let this get out. And Sorrow being 
like the MacGuffin is, oh, we need to get rid of Project Starfish. Those of us who knew it was Starro, we're like, well, okay, but how did how did Project Starfish? What what is Project Starfish? Starro is not Project Starfish. Starro is the villain, or the big the bigger bad. But Project Starfish is what America actually was going to do with Starro. Right. Exactly. You know, that's effectively what it is. So them going in to destroy and cover up our bullshit as Americans. Well, there you go. <laughs> right. Yeah, and that's another thing that. Another thing about the Suicide Squad that stands way, and I mean way apart from its 2016 film, it has something to say to its audience, and that is, of course, America's interventionism, how they have this tendency to just, well, interfere in global affairs which is something that parallels most past life and even real-life events such as the Iraq War, Vietnam, and even the the Middle East crisis, even. Right, right, right. I mean, and the, the fact that the squad is sent on a... Like, I, I think the funniest part is... Uh, I think the thing about the movie is it, it, was, it cleverly sets up the premise of how they get... How Team A gets demolished. <laughs> exactly. We, we haven't even got to Team B yet. We're just really just talking about the overall. But Team A, that that right there solidified what this movie was gonna be. Um, the way it happened actually is because somebody on the team betrayed them, and he got folded first. Even right. though he stitched on the whole team, he's the one that got folded first. There exactly. goes your service. Exactly. Rewarded as a traitor deserves to. Exactly. He got he got folded first by the enemy that he snitched on us too. So it's kinda like there are no good guys per se in this movie. That's what I love. No. There are really no good guys. There are none. Right. And and that and that reminds me of another massive improvement. Again with the whole show don't tell, cause I something that really pissed me off and made me cringe so much was in the original Suicide Squad, the 2016 one, they keep, they are so, they keep reminding us, the audience, who are the good guys and who are the bad guys with the whole, don't forget, we're the bad guys, these are villains. But here, no, we get to see who they really are without any words being being spoken we know these guys are the bad guys and that they're anti-heroes as well and on top of that i love that conversation that you know th those two lines when rick flags and the thinker say this is suicide yeah well that's kind of our thing now that is how you do a title drop without revealing the team name back when was well where's it yeah, exactly. Instead of a, why well, we're just some kind of suicide squad. Just face oh, palm, face palm. Uh, yeah, and uh, that other cringe moment with Harley Quinn when she broke the glass to steal the purse. Mm -hmm. And she goes, we're bad guys. It's what we do. And it's like, oh. We get it already. Uh, <laughs> like, oh, please, you don't have to tell me that this brown wall or this brown stain is shit. <laughs> You've already smeared it everywhere. I know it's shit. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's just not too subtle. So painfully obvious. It might as well be written everywhere on the screen for us. Hey, good guy. Hey, good guy. Hey, good guy. Bad guy. Bad guy. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! You you could have had uh, Deadpool um, 
uh, narrate, do a, a commentary over the Oh, film. yeah, definitely. <laughs> we could. What a wasted just, opportunity, just, yeah. Really a good guy. Look at how he's walking. <laughs> exactly. And... But, Oh, oh, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, also, what I really, what really endeared this film to me, true, it may be a bloody chaotic film, but also it's full of heart as well. You, these guys, they're bad, but you care about them. They have chemistry together. You really care about these characters so much and you don't want a bad thing to happen to them. In the 2016 one, we had that shoehorned line where El Diablo says, I've lost one family, I'm not losing another. But they've only known each other for like, what? A day? Less than a day tops? But here, in the 2021 version, the Suicide Squad's mission took place over the course of like four days and they got to know each other a lot. So when we see them interact, especially during that whole disco scene in Cordo Maltese, that was really heartwarming as well. It was, and it was very enduring. It was a was. Yeah, it was a moment for you to go. Oh my God, this is these are real people. Exactly, and I even sh I almost the little awe oh, when Nanawe or King Shark was left in the van. Just oh, you feel yeah. for it, the feels. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. Oh, thank you. I hope we transition to talking about the juxtaposition of Team A to Team B. We have to talk about just how, like that, how that that was directed beautifully, <laughs> like um. Like how uh, the introduction of all of these characters, it was at least what, like 10 people, uh, if I'm not mistaken, Eight, ten, yeah. that were introduced. And the only the only people that survived from the first encounter from Team A was Harley and Rick Flagg. Those are the only two that survived <laughs> right. from Team yeah. A. And then Team B comes in and uh, Amanda Waller, uh, she calls out, she, and she was like, all right, um, she was like a uh, blood sport. She, uh, I, oh, his name escapes me right now. Um, his last name, um, it's French. It's a French last name. That's right. Um, right. Uh, Dublanc was his name. Is, is it Dublanc? I, I, I believe so, yeah. Dubois, uh, not Dubois. Dubois, 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 Dubois right. Yeah. Yeah, all right, guys. Like, uh, Dubois, uh, are you ready? Are, are you good? Is your team uh, ready? And he was like, what happened to team? What happened to the first team? <laughs> it, it was like real I know, big. right? <laughs> he was like, what happened to the first team? Sounds like a real big... She, uh, he said, uh, it sounds like a, a lot of fireworks going on over there. She goes, yeah, I knew it turned into a shit show. <laughs> <laughs> and I think she knew that uh, um, Pete Davis's character, I think she knew he told on them. Oh, yeah, but... Like, like, I mean, it was just funny just how it all... Like, she she is ready. She's the equivalent of... Um, she's been compared to, like, what Batman would be like if he became a corporatist. Mm. Like, that. that's what I've always heard the comparison. Like, they're like, that's the reason why she respects Batman and Batman respects her. Because mm -hmm. if you always remember, um, and, and, and just in a, uh, Batman... I think it was a Superman Batman Apocalypse. Right. He was willing to blow up the fucking planet. Oh yeah, and, and do and um and um and um, Dark Side was like, you ha he says, ooh, mortal, you have my, you have my respect. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> have the, so, have the. Amanda Waller is that too. Exactly <laughs> and, uh, right. And when Team B comes in, um, this is your, this, this is your cast. These, this is the team that was on the posters. Because I think 
when we're watching Team A go in, we're like, wait, where's Bloodsport? Mm -hmm. I had that too, where's yeah. Now that is a great way of bait and switch. Yes, yes. Oh, no, I, I just want to introduce the, the um, juxtaposition of, of, the, of the B team, brother. I mean, hey, look, um, it, like I said, we, we, I know when we talked about it, we we're going to talk like kind of off the cuff, but that team, but team B, the heart of the film really lies with the team dynamics in where, where, whereas whether it be like real life situations put into an action film per se and a gory, crazy, funny film. The thing about what they do is they set this up as anything, anything as simple as a father daughter relationship mm. or a bromance or hell, even, even, a, um, even a rivalry like they they said or, or or somebody who these these are clearly damaged people in some form or fashion and um just the introduction of of um this team and they showed you the backstory of this particular team and uh i like the line in um when they explain uh dubois story and in his hands anything is a lethal weapon father was a uh, army corporal he, he taught him everything he knows and then he and then she broke she um inducts him into the suicide squad because he uses his daughter that's that that's scummy shit <laughs> and then she introduced him to peacemaker and, and it was a very tongue-in-cheek way to show you how a lot of origin stories of these characters are always very similar but what defines the character is what their core beliefs are right and that exactly. was juxtaposed between three characters specifically rick flag Bloodsport and uh, peace peacemaker. Right, yeah. Yeah, and again, like, about the character dynamics, yeah, James Gunn was the only, no correction, he was the perfect choice to direct the Suicide Squad because it really fits with his talents, you know, his skills as a director because James Gunn, if we've seen proof of his work on Guardians of the Galaxy, James Gunn loves misfits. His films have characters that don't really fit anywhere. You don't really that you don't really see every day having a normal conversation with. And he takes those characters and makes us love them. Even from this sociopathic assassin and this giant man-eating shark man with a taste for human flesh. <laughs> I'm sorry, man. It's just every time I think about, I, I think about the way, man. It, he, um, uh, Stallone did a wonderful job voicing him. Oh yeah, because Stallone, Stallone already has that. That people already make fun of Stallone. The you know, that's <laughs> that's always the thing. But when they show King Sharks, just his, they made him dumb, and I was like, oh my god, how is this gonna work? Because you would you would have thought we the Weasel character would have been what Nunawe was, mm -hmm. but Nunawe's understanding of things it's almost like a child. And when they, when they were having the, the, the briefing, and they were like, any questions? Hand. <laughs> yes, that is your hand, Nanawe. Very good. And then he just sl slouches, looking pleased like, with yeah. himself. Yeah, like, yeah, hand. <laughs> and then, uh, with the, the, and his, like a child. Right. Uh, num num? No, 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 he's almost like an attack dog, really, and the power sets on, or the skill sets on Team B is 
fucking phenomenal. Bloodsport, <laughs> look, man, Idris Elba, look, I don't give a good goddamn what if anybody strings me up and burns me at stake for this. That man should have been James Bond. Fuck you. That guy was, oh, oh my God. And right, Blood right Sport, on. She, like, like, just smooth and still save time. Like, just... Oh, this is some bullshit. This, his elbow pulls it off. Oh, yeah, he, he does. And he really, like, to your point, what you mentioned before, I agree, he is a much massive improvement over the last assassin character, uh, Deadshot. In fact, Idris Elba was meant to be Deadshot in the Suicide Squad, but Will Smith is slated to return to for another film. He couldn't show up in this one, so they had him replace replaced with Bloodsport, and man, what a gift of a character he is. And I'm glad, I'm glad they made him Bloodsport because it would have felt kind of cheap for them to make him Deadshot, but I feel like making him Bloodsport, even though he's almost, his story is almost just like Deadshot's, the characterization is so much, like, how can I put this? Because they show you what could happen if you were to put Deadshot and Bloodsport in the same room, it's like you would think it would be just testosterone pumping. It would be like a gentleman's bargain. Like, I'm going to show you better than I can tell you. And they do it with him and Peacemaker. But um, I told you off, you know, off camera when I was, I was uh, saying his, his characterization as Bloodsport is so much more better than Will Smith's Deadshot. Now, Will Smith does carry the film. Mm-hmm. He, he did. He did. He does carry it. Now, it, it's a bit of an acquired taste. But once you see him as Deadshot, you kind of accept it. You're like, okay, you know, I can deal with this. This is, this is more palatable than if you know than um, Killer Croc's um, right, yeah, stereo, stereotype black, black stereotype version of Waylon Jones. And I was like, yo, this is no, no, Waylon, you know, this is not it. But uh, back to uh, just uh, when you're talking about Bloodsport, man, he was able to capture the levity of certain perspectives of that that moral gray area where they're like well what's the right thing to do the right thing to do is self is self-preservation like at the end of the movie we'll get to that but at the end of the movie that that concept of self-preservation if you notice throughout the movie dubois was willing he was willing to go for his team but he was like oh fuck you remember amanda waller told him i told you i'll make you a leader Mm -hmm. and she did yeah And, and and the thing about it was He's a reluctant leader, but not in the, um, and James Gunn does this very well of like, he either has a person that thinks highly of themselves, but they get humbled by the people around them. Right. And then and then they accept their leadership or they're a person that's reluctant. And then in their reluctancy, the people around them reaffirm them by being able to say, hey, you got the best insight without telling you hey man you're the best person for the job no they they right. do it in their actions in their words if you ever if you noticed how even with polka dot man <laughs> he you know when he was in, in the shit he was able to listen to blood sport and follow directives and do it properly and they, they the, the 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 screen the screenwriting for it shows perfectly the script shows perfectly for it and then the juxtaposition of peacemaker being able to do it under full circumstances. We'll get to that later, too. Um, but I, I just wanted to just highlight just blood sport. I, I had to highlight that, brother, man. That, like, I want to see Idris Elba's blood sport again. I don't, want, I don't want him to die either, but, I mean, 
you know how these movies go full rotation because of mm, yeah oh, he man. he was he was really he was really great yeah for sure and Idris Elba by the way I, Idris Elba is one of my one of the best actors of our generation and he still is and this is probably one of his best performances for sure and on top of that another thing that gave the Suicide Squad even more of an edge over its 2016 predecessor is the fact that this film is rated R, like a hard R rating. Like, it wouldn't work. This is the Suicide Squad we're talking about. And for it to be PG-13, just no, no. I don't think a PG-13 rating would be earned for a film in which we see a guy getting eaten whole and, and another being shanked in his own sleeve, burned alive, blown to bits, ripped in half. Oh, and on top of that, we even get a nice dong shot as well. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> and then uh, um, John Cena as Peacemaker. Mm. Another great casting choice. Like, John Cena comes off as just that, that, that Chic Hydro Gillette axe spraying jock right like a cap version of captain america mm -hmm. like you like i i live and breathe freedom and i'll kill men women and children to to keep that freedom and you're like what the fuck what kind of warped <laughs> sense of patriotism is that but he effectively is what you he's a weaponized version of a u.s president mm, he is yeah like he really is and the and and like i said while peacemaker has these faux beliefs, the, these core beliefs that are really faux pas of being um, a patriot. Bloodsport is just like, I am what I am. And um, even with um, Ratcatcher um, being like a daughter-like figure because she lost her father in Bloodsport, you know, Dubois is about to lose it, lose. Well, she lost her father, he's about to lose his daughter. He understands the importance of having familiar ties, familiar ties, and the fact that when they finally meet up with with Rick Flag in the jungle, that scene, that that like once again, James Gunn knows how to do um, something that's like tongue in cheek, but it's like at the very end, it's like at the very end, it's like the punchline is not the goofiness is happening, the point like or the, the joke is not what's happening right there. It's at the very end of the uh, of the bit. You're like, oh shit. Yeah, like they completely killed uh, the whole camp of resistance fighters. These are right. good guys. <laughs> they killed, and I was, and they were like, and she goes, "Why, why didn't my man alert me that you were here?" Oh, and they were like, uh. And the whole time, it was literally a sadistic game of who can do it better. It's like a game of horse. <laughs> I know, right? And the fact where, and then we have, I love the scene where Bloodsport is just flipping off Peacemaker and Peacemaker returns the favor in kind. Yeah, <laughs> that yeah, was, yeah. wow. This, they're like children competing who has who has the, the biggest balls. Yeah, I just, yeah. it's just <laughs> genius. Like the worst version of a pissing contest. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. And, and, and the way that they do it with such ease, it's because, the, the, the thing about this is still showing you they are fucking bad guys like you, all those people that they killed they didn't check to see if those people were civilian no. soldiers they didn't check to see if they were uh, military officials they're in the middle of the jungle and they were just capital 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 <laughs> and then he was like how did you do that oh I, well you remember and um he was like 
oh, you missed that one. And he was like, oh, no, explosive tip round. Boom, and the guy blows up. You're like, oh, my God. <laughs> what the fuck? And I laughed, but the whole time I was laughing at it. Oh, and man. then when Polka Dot Man came out for his look, they are like, oh, shit, he, he beats us. Because <laughs> he actually has powers. You know, right? Yeah, that's... Now that, as Peacemaker quotes, that is just dope as fuck. Yes, yes. <laughs> and, and with that said, yeah, what better way to transition is and get to the characters? Because, again, all the characters, every single one of them, these are great. For one, let's start with what I consider to be, and I think what we all consider to be, the MVP of this film, and of course, that is Nanawe. I just, like, everything about him, like, Sylvester Stallone, he's best known for his serious roles, but his line reading for this character is just very comedic, good timing as well, and on top of that, the CGI they use for him is phenomenal. You really believe that this is a shark man coming to life yes yes and i mean the uh nanawe like like i, I stated before it's just he's so childlike in everything that he does like literally a, fi a fish out of water like <laughs> like hand yes this is my hand or when they um he was like um when they were asleep and he was about to eat rat catcher he was like he's a hungry Dumb, no, and, <laughs> and they were like, "Oh God, well, let's get this." It's like if you've ever dealt with a child that's hungry, they they are they they are just they they go into fits of rage because they're hungry. They their metabolism is eating their ass up. So he's like a child, and he has a taste for human flesh. And he's like eat rat catcher, and rat catcher's like, "Well, we don't eat friends," and he's like, "Friend, the Norway have no friend." Mm, I All felt for him. Like. <laughs> Yeah, I feel, I feel for him that, like, yeah, he's he just wants to have friends. He, like, he's, have you seen the guy? Like, he's so cute. He's so adorable. And after Ratcatcher tells him not to eat friends, he notice how he doesn't spend the rest of the film trying to eat any of them, just their enemies. Yeah, and he, and he understood that. I mean, it didn't take much. And then um, just the fact that Nanawe, if you, if you actually look at how his character development, right? I'm not saying he gets superbly smart, but he has understanding. Once again, the film doesn't have to tell you that, right. like by by explaining it with exposition. They're just like uh, this fucking guy is fucking stupid. But then us as the audience watching him, we're like, oh, okay, he gets that. Like he gets simple concepts. You don't have to over like he's slowly learning he's like he's evolving as we go no we he's a fucking man he ain't shark <laughs> like what else could you expect from him so smart me <laughs> right and <laughs> the book's upside down genius <laughs> right that was mass I'm genius just genius in fact yeah he's almost like uh if he's like the DCU's version of Groot, basically, only that this one doesn't eat Groot doesn't eat people whole, and also, yeah, like they really 
this character, everything they did with him, they just nailed him to perfection as well. Because back then, when the tra when the announcements first came out, many thought, huh, that this uh, King Shark may... They thought this film would fail because he doesn't look like anything in the comics. You know how in the comics, uh, Nanawe is, you know, very buff and muscular, but here he... Well, as you saw, he has a dad body. <laughs> yeah, I think they made Nanawe more akin to his uh, Harley Quinn. Right. Uh, and I, lo I love his his version of the Harley Quinn TV. <laughs> Howdy. Um, yeah, like just this just this real pleasant guy that's just trying to just just trying to be nice and not eat people, but whenever like like his fits of rage are always funny. Oh yeah. Like, but they were like. Fresh, fresh, fresh fish, and he was like, "Who the fuck said that?" <laughs> <laughs> I will kill each and every one of you with my bare hands if I have to. It's like, and then he goes back. He's like, "I'm sorry for yelling," and then that's when he goes back, and he goes back into a fit of rage. Very mood swings, am I right? Yeah. And, yeah, really, yeah. And, I mean, and um. Ratcatcher. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, you were going to interest me. Oh, 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 and also, yeah, like, just want to say one last bit about him. It's like, I'm re I was really relieved that he didn't die. He survived the whole movie, and he got what he wanted. He finally found friends. Just... Yeah. And, dude, he's a tank, man. Like, his, his skin is almost impenetrable. Mm -hmm, yeah. hard. He's hard. He was hard. Like, I think the only thing that messed him up with those, um, what the little glowfish in the mm -hmm. inside tank water? Right, yeah. I think, was, I, think, I think they bit on him or something, right? He did, yeah. And he fell off like a whole building and it didn't do anything to him. And shooting him, it does nothing. It just pisses him off to the point that he'll just bite off a guy's head clean. And he split a guy in the, in down the middle. Oh, all Mortal Kombat-esque um, effects on that one. Fatality. Nanawe wins. Yes. <laughs> and, and that Waller wasn't just for, what she said wasn't just for show. Nanawe really is the strongest member of the team really yes 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 man i mean king shark mvp man like i think uh i, I think he was like a sleeper hit mm -hmm. in the, in, within the film like you're like oh my god he like i because like, a, a lot of people a lot of reviewers i've, I've watched talk about it and say they enjoy uh they enjoyed the way in the in the film because he pretty much you know was able to um encapsulate that child like wonder but he's murderous <laughs> very true very true yeah and, and also uh, yeah since you mentioned it before uh, yeah ratcatcher again another standout character too james gunn describes ratcatcher as the heart of the movie and it's really not hard to see why because she's she's nice she's naive idealistic but when when push comes to shove, she is not playing. Like, she will summon a swarm of rats to just fuck up every one of them. Millions of them. Oh, my God. Like, millions of them. <laughs> um, I think uh, the crazy thing about Ratcatcher, man, is that um, she she acts like a... Like, in the, in the fucking millennials. Because <laughs> she's a, she, she, she was asleep. She goes, uh... Do I have to get up? Oh no, sorry, princess. You can go back to sleep. And then while and then she tries, she goes back to sleep. And while I was like, get the fuck up and stop playing. <laughs> You're like, oh, oh, okay, okay. <laughs> but she she acts like, uh, this is so um, 
this is such a drag. I don't want to do this. Like, that's how she she gives off the air of, like, just like a, re- a reluctant villain, more or less. Mm-hmm. You know, that's like, she's probably the most, um, what you would call a reluctant villain out of all of them. Right, yeah. I mean, then she's rat catcher number two because her father, you know, uh, shouts out to Taika Waititi. Um, the, uh, a lot of lot, lot of Marvel transplants over here. Um, she, well, it, it, her father was, um, he was strung out on heroin. And even though, you know, uh, he showed her, like, like basically giving her a valuable life lesson about, you know, treating rats with dignity, even though most of us probably still wouldn't. No. I mean, I guess the overall message is that the rats represent the people and they get treated, you know, in such a low way. And he said, these, these are, this is their, this is their, this is their land. This is their territory. And just showing her how to control the rats and then um, juxtaposing that with uh, blood sports <laughs> phobia of rats. Like, right. oh my God, that was, that was done eloquently. They're like, why the fuck did you tell us you had a phobia of rats? I didn't think it was necessary because I didn't think I'd be working with fucking rats. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then, yeah, and they really also... I love that they included that side of Bloodsport as well, because it could have, it it might have sounded, on paper, it might have sounded very cringeworthy or goofy, but it really makes sense with the character. He might be a hitman, someone who kills for money, but he's still human, just like yes. the rest of us. And also, kudos to Sebastian the Rat for being so, he's just so adorable and when he hands him a leaf and he's like why the fuck would I want to leave <laughs> his whole yeah his, he was just like so uncomfortable they're like this sentient rat what the fuck like, <laughs> and Sebastian and Seb- he's like oh Sebastian uh, sees the good in you and it's like Bloodsport really does embody that perception of like cause unlike just I have to juxtapose that with Deadshot again and his daughter because both characters are were obviously made to be mirrors of each other. Mm-hmm. Um, the juxtaposition with Deadshot and his daughter, his daughter doesn't know that he's a hitman. He's just, you know, he's just, uh, he's just daddy to her. While Bloodsport's daughter, she's out here stealing and he's like, you went to God. He says, you should have stole something that was worth, worth the while. And they get into the shot match. Like, fuck, 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 back and forth. <laughs> Mass and then, cool. it, yeah, it, it's just that right there. The fact that if an animal can smell good in you, obviously, like I said, in the in, in the original Suicide Squad movie, they had to draw out that dead shot is actually a good father. Mm. They have to sh- they have to display yeah. it in a way where it's like, look, he's clearly a person, right? Mm. Yeah, he kills people for millions and millions of dollars, but he's still a good person, right? While his blood sport is like, uh, this guy's a fucking asshole, but he's badass and he and he doesn't apologize for it. Man, right. and that and that's how you expect your villains to be unapologetic with what <laughs> like even even if remorseful, they still are unapologetic because they're like I'll do it again, and I'll do it again and again. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and yeah, because yeah, to your point, you're right. Because the Suicide Squad, they're what you call punch clock villains. Because they're yeah, they're to call them evil would be an exaggeration. They're the bad guys because it's it's just a job to them. It's not like they enjoy. It's just part of their employment. Nothing else. Nothing more. Nothing less. Really. Exactly. I mean, so 
Ratcatcher being the heart of the film is very much seen when you actually watch the film, you you see that through and through. You don't have any qualms about it. And then just um, when the core team gets all together, which is closer to the closer to the um, the end of the movie, like it's it's like I think uh, part it's a uh, it's like second part. Um, yeah, second part, part B, or what's called um, the second act, part B, uh, is where the whole team is together and they're like they're coordinating this attack or they're coordinating this um, this op, and you really see the dynamic come full circle because Rick Rick Flag has this rapport with Har- with Harley, and Rick has a rapport with Peacemaker because Peacemaker knows about Rick's service, and then also. Um, Rick being over the team, you know, it's it, it, like I said, there's a good revolving door of understanding between characters, and then even Polka Dot Man, like, uh, his story was like real tragic too when you kind of mm-hmm. think about it in perspective. Yes, yeah. Oh, and it was like they goes, "What's your problem?" I thought uh, most of us were insane. He goes, "I am insane." <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, he. If there's one thing that the DCEU also shows is every superhero's relationship with their moms. And I think Polka Dot takes the cake for mo- biggest mommy issues Ooh. ever. <laughs> Ooh, man, like, to see visions of your abusive mom everywhere. Now that is just fucked up and sick. <laughs> I mean, and yeah, I mean, to that point, I mean, Polka Dot Man was also, like, he's like a D-list Batman mm-hmm. villain from the 1960s, I think. And, like, for them to reinvigorate his character, make his power set more streamlined, even if as wacky as it is, um, you apply real-world uh, perspectives to a lot of those wacky characters. I mean, Jesus Christ, man. I mean, dude, the guy... The guy, the guy really is a tortured character mm-hmm. and they and, and they show it and, and the actor that, that plays him really conveys that as like this introverted mousy kind of guy it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I, like he's the guy that's like, I don't want any trouble I don't want mm-hmm. trouble you know, right. he's that kind of guy but you give him these disintegrating fucking polka dots <laughs> instead of making it where the polka dots are like they, they, they resize and turn into different weapons no he just expe- expels them and they eat they they eat away at the uh, matter at the throne and, and yeah. oh my god man and they 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 make they they use no they use no restrictions on showing you how devastating that that can oh, be oh no not at all no. like especially took down the uh the crow's nest uh, when they came in and and he took that shit down like that i was like holy fuck this guy's like very powerful <laughs> he is pretty powerful yeah he really that's another thing too that James Gunn also is really good at he another parallel he, that he shares with Guardians of the Galaxy he really takes characters that are very like D-list F-list very obscure that we've never even heard of and he gives them quite a lot and I mean a lot of characterization and to your point they show they really gave a lot of respect for polka dot man they showed that this guy despite his quirky ridiculousness he is stronger and smarter than he looks yes 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 and I mean just I mean just 
uh, my last point to poke it out, man, really would be that um, DC, because I, I t- we talked about it before uh, off camera, DC really could, they could really stand to just reinvigorate their characters properly if they if they have somebody who understands source material. Like, you have people who don't know how to invigorate characters such as Wonder Woman. Like, it's, it, it, you know what I'm saying? It's like, she's one of the biggest, she's a part of the, the, the Holy Trinity of DC. How do you not invigorate a character with damn near 60 plus years, 70 years of content? That is not difficult. You have so much to pull from, and yet you still water down the characters. Polka Dot Man had just a little bit, a little bit of, of history in the comics, and James Gunn was like, hmm, hold on here, I'll show you. And he succeeded. Even He even did it with Starro. Right. I mean, we will get to that, but he was even able to do it with Starro. Even though Starro was a wacky villain from 19... 19- <laughs> He was the the first villain that uh, the Justice League faced right. as the League. So for him to be able to take Starro, which is a one of these wacky Silver Age villains, and turn it into a, 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 a earth shattering threat. I mean, even though they showed Starro as an earth shattering threat in uh, Justice League, um, not not Justice League Unlimited, uh, Batman Beyond, mm-hmm. when they show when when they showed the face, you know, basically the face hugger. Um, <laughs> Uh, symbiotic relationship that the micro Starro had uh, that they had in the show if I'm not mistaken um, yeah but James Gunn like any other director would have just like they just would have went for a uh, world ending abomination but they they made they, they gave uh, the James Gunn was able to give the character more, the um, villain more levity right exactly yeah and again props to the effects they used to pull out for Starro they look Impressive. Amazing, man. Amazing. Right. And also, uh, moving on on the characters, like, I can't believe this. Like, we are almost halfway through this episode and discussing the characters, and we haven't discussed what is probably the most iconic member of the team. And you know who I'm talking about, of course, and that is Harley fucking Quinn. First off, yes. That's another thing, like, Mar- if there's one good thing we can say about uh, Suicide Squad 2016 is that Margot Robbie, she stole the show as Harley Quinn, and here she has done it again, and I could not be even more surprised, because she really develops a lot in this film, too, because back then she was just the Joker's girlfriend, sidekick, but here she's Harley Quinn, she is her own person. She has gained her independence. And you can even see that in her like back tattoo. Back then it was property of Joker, but now she changed it to property of no one. And on top of that, that hallway scene with Harley, one of Man. the film's best, best action sequences ever. And it just really... I, I, I'm a huge fan of Harley Quinn, uh, and I, I love her from the comics, the shows, and movies. And this is really they, James Gunn really gave her, this character the proper treatment and respect. We really see how far she's gone from just being the Joker's girlfriend to just being her own person. She is just as tough as nails and deadly without her pudding. Yes, because um, 
the scenes with her and the president uh, was like the, the thing about the, the movie is it doesn't focus super, it doesn't make it Harley Quinn centric it actually is a team movie right um the, the but the moment she is on screen she is taking up every piece of scenery and chewing it the fuck up and it is beautiful <laughs> like she's not chewing through scenery in a bad way but she is consistent with her character and she embodies Harley Quinn to the T almost to a point where you're like damn I really it's hard to see anybody else's Harley Quinn like you know that that's that's how well she does Harley Quinn and, and the fact that um uh, somebody I heard somebody else say it was like she doesn't have a major skill set she's just crazy she's a crazy woman and knows how to do great backflips and I was like no. no Harley Quinn is a Olympic level gymnast do you understand what that means and like just just a sidebar when you take a person who is athletically trained right and you give them a weapon oh yeah it's almost as if you trained them in the field of what all it doesn't take much for you to kind of you know adjust on the spot and the thing about harley quinn is that her fight her fighting scene i love her her fight scene was epic i loved it and the, i i know you gotta expand a little disbelief but the the way that they they're starting to kind of rectify that with their female characters versus men being that these men are bigger what they do is they give them objects around them to fight off these hordes of men and then the fact that that hallway scene was directed beautifully and um and as me being a music person uh the song that was the uh that was featured for the film uh-huh. they directed the video the the, the video of, of, for the um for the movie they directed it in tandem with the movie Ooh. and yeah if uh, i watched i watched the video a few uh last week because I, I love the song the song is is epic and um when you watch the movie, you see how they implemented these these very video esque, like like music video esque moments, and like they and, and me personally, them showing Harley in that hallway scene was was beautiful. Just like the flowers blooming, it was almost <laughs> like it was like if you were to say like that was the moment she said, but like she cut the Joker's name off of her or something, and then the flowers started blooming. And her her fight, it was like her gaining her independence. Like you could have take, taken the Birds of Prey movie and thrown her on the scrap pile mm-hmm. and had this scene like where she like where she like if she killed the president, and it was like I already had to deal with you know bad boyfriends and mm-hmm. she doesn't name drop drop the Joker specifically, right. but we all know who she's talking exactly. about. Exactly, yeah, another like bonus and point. It, it, in that moment because when she shot him, you're like oh shit, well that was to be expected. <laughs> Yeah, just they really nailed everything with this character. And also, it may sound a bit minor, but one of the criticisms the last Suicide Squad movie had was that it kind of objectified Harley. You know, it heavily sexualized her. Like, we see her with very loose clothing. and But here in, it feels like... It, fe- it felt more like we were watching a striptease rather than a character-driven story. They're, they even got a scene, a very long extended scene where everyone pauses and the camera lingers on Harley changing. That was just insulting. But here, they really, this is just such a relief. They gave this character the proper treatment and respect because Harley Quinn is one of 
DC's most iconic characters. And she didn't even debut in a comic in Batman the Animated Series. But she was so popular that she got a lot of extended characterization and material. And this film, it feels like a love letter to all Harley Quinn fans, I must say. Yeah. The, uh, I just want to make this little tip. It's like it's like quick trivia. Trivia that uh, her costume that she has on in the beginning of the film, that's her Injustice Two costume. Right, right. I noticed that too. Yeah. I was like, because as soon as I saw it, I mean, I love Injustice, man. And so I was like, oh, I was like, that's the Injustice fit. Okay. So I love when they incorporate, um, they incorporate uh, different uh, costumes from across across the continuity into different films, and it shows that. James Gunn pays attention. Like, it's like, you could be like, oh, that's just Harley Quinn in a different costume. But if you're a real fan of the source material, or if you're a fan of different uh, conduits of DC, you're like, oh, that's the Injustice fit, even down to the makeup and the black, the dark the dark red lipstick. I was like, yo, I know exactly what the, where that fit is from. It was, yeah, I noticed that too. I, I play Injustice too, by the way. Good game, by the way, love it. And it's, that's the costume design. In this film, it's just wow, just wow. Blood sports, uh, <laughs> I, 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 dude. I love his costume, man. Like, I've, I've always, I've always liked Deathstroke. Uh, like, I've always loved his his modular, like fitting, like this military tech gear. But blood sports, that xenomorph helmet. <laughs> Oh my god, dude! Because uh, when I first saw it, I was like, that looks like a fucking xenomorph helmet. <laughs> Right, right. I know, right? Wow. And on top of that, also, uh, the <clears throat> the another thing that really sold endeared the Suicide Squad to me is the aesthetic, the color palette. My yeah. God, it really looks like a comic book come to life. The style, it really fits with the tone of the Suicide Squad comics. James Gunn himself is a huge fan of the Suicide Squad comics, and it's really not hard to see why. He really, no, he really is confident in his own style, his aesthetic. He even went on to call the Suicide Squad not as a superhero film, but as a 70s war film, kind of like Apocalypse Now or even yeah. Platoon. Yeah, yeah. I mean, James Gunn. Uh, and the thing I loved about it is, unlike Josh, Josh Whedon that came in. So yeah, yeah. yeah we, we don't like talking about it, but we have to. I, I have to in order to highlight. Um, being a Marvel director, it's not the Mar- he didn't bring a Marvel aesthetic to no. to DC. No, he actually took what DC was supposed to be, and elevated it. Like he brought it out and he utilized his understanding of team building. See, like if you if you were to tell somebody, hey, I want to have a new idea about a team based film and we need a director. This new team based film. Nobody's ever heard. This is a brand new story. It has no comic origins. This is a fresh story. Who would you bring in to direct? And the first person I'd be like, James Gunn, first person, because even though Josh Whedon does team films or he, he knows how to do ensemble um cast really well without you know um i mean but th- but that's old joss Whedon. right like that's buffy joss Whedon. <laughs> joss Whedon of, of avengers fame that guy is dead mm-hmm. that dude has died a long time ago so james gunn really brought out all of that within with the, within this and then the making dc i feel like had 
had um, this had they brought James Gunn in to do the first Suicide Squad and DC because the other thing is DC allowed him to do his thing exactly they allowed him to direct properly no oversight no overreach right like, man, right have fun right and he, right and he right did work. he did yeah that's another thing that that's what really elevated the Suicide Squad because James Gunn, like you mentioned, they gave him a lot of creative freedom to do this film. Like he may be, he may have started out on Marvel's side, but he really shows a lot of respect for DC as well. Marvel and DC may be rivals in all this, but it it's really great, a nice change of pace to see someone who respects both of them. And on top of that, funny we should mention this, but on the premiere of Suicide Squad 2016, David Ayer went on as far to say, fuck Marvel, but now, come 2021, we have a DC film directed by someone from Marvel. It's a funny world we all live in, huh? <laughs> yeah, I mean, um... Yeah, being being a, a team player for your for your studio is not the way to be. You 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 have to because they, they they you get into the um, the identity politics of Marvel versus DC when really you're supposed to be in the in the filmmaking perspective of things. Damn the team, you you are you are a conduit for which film is created. And David Ayer is kind of like you know he has self righteousness, but uh, let's be honest, David Ayer and has kind of written the same film over and over. He's like Training Day and End the Watch are basically the same film, mm. right? Like, I mean, yeah. like, I mean, I mean, even though I haven't seen End the Watch in forever, I mean, dude, it's the same film relatively. Mm, it it kind of is, it's a buddy, yeah. but buddy cop drama. <laughs> right. You know, or and, and on top of that, of course, let's not go overboard with the blame here. But to be fair, uh, it was, as we all know, Warner Brothers' fault with the first one since, you know, they interfered as they always do. They gave David A or get this six weeks to complete the whole script. They rewrote, reshot the third act and they cut out so many scenes. And to this day, they're still denying him the right to show his cut, the Ayer cut. Yeah, because, I mean, just like, like I said, I don't want to harbor on it too long, but it's just, I, I know one thing is that um, one uh, an insider, an industry insider said that Joker was supposed to have a heavy presence in the film, more so than what he had in the what we got. Because the Joker was supposed to kind of be the pseudo antagonist or you know he was supposed to be the uh, an antagonist alongside the major threat he was going to be the b plot antagonist but it was going to relate to harley being on a team getting intel getting her out like because you see the end result of it but it didn't it, it, it shot in such a manner where it's like mm-hmm. but but why but why but why so ultimately um you know david air hey man you know i think you deserve your cut but at the same time James Gunn took this and I mean, well, they like like you said, we can't place too much blame. I mean, we got we got a good film. I mean, despite despite its box office flop, it's it still did really well in uh like for um critical return. It, it did, did very well. It did, yeah. And yeah, on top of that, of course, but let's of course not stray away because it's not David Ayer we all came here to talk about, but of course, Mr. Gunn. And let's to 
continue on with the characters, of course, let's talk a bit more about everyone's favorite all-American boy and favorite dick eater, Peacemaker. <laughs> he, he was another standout of the film as well. Like many deny, many people before this film came out denied John Cena's acting abilities and prowess because many know him as the guy who now shows up in B-list rom-coms and only knows how to wrestle, but he really, really brought this character to life. As John Cena said it himself, Peacemaker is essentially a douchey Captain America with some elements of a frat bro. Yeah, definitely. Like, he was like, if my country said I, this island was full of dicks and I had to eat every single one of them in order to save freedom, I will happily go, yes, Mr. President, I will eat all these dicks. Like, you're like, dude, that is extreme. Like, there's, there is a level of uh, American exceptionalism that goes into that, but the character is made around that perspective, like, because it's like, oh, I, I hate I hate war, but I have to go to war in order to keep the peace, in mm. order to make peace. But that's why his name is not Peacekeeper, it's Peacemaker. <laughs> right, yeah. Like, if you pay close attention to that, a Peacekeeper is a person that already has the power and they're just keeping, they're just keeping the power right. on lock. Peacemaker is like, well, I have power, but I'm about to go extinguish anything that might subjugate that power. Right. Or might, uh, not subjugate, but might upsert that power. Right, yeah, that's, he's essentially, Peacemaker is more than just a character. He's like the living embodiment of ultra-nationalism and patriotism gone wrong. You know, my country, right or wrong. My country might, you may not agree with everything your country might do, but I'll go for it anyway, because I love my country. I love being uh, an American. America, <laughs> fuck yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, America, fuck yeah, bro. Like, uh, I think the best thing I can explain is, is like anybody that 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 uh, doesn't understand this meme is when you hear people say America, America. <laughs> that's that's what it is, right? Like that right there. When you hear people say America, peacemaker is that. Inside mm -hmm. that, and the the coolest part about the character is that he plays the he's the person you love to hate. Like, oh, this fucking guy. Like, you know, very, I'm not going to say Loki-esque, but he plays into that, that category of somebody, like, you don't like this motherfucker so much that you enjoy <laughs> watching him. Like, it's like a train wreck. It's like, oh, my God, this is, this, this is wonderfully, hilariously devastating. Right, I know. Yeah, like, true to your point, yes. Peacemaker, he is an asshole. But then again, he's still our asshole. That came out wrong. <laughs> no. Oh, God. <laughs> no, that's fine. That's fine. No, no. I get it. He, yeah, he, he's a douche, but he's our... Oh, that's not good either. <laughs> right. But, yeah, man, I mean, uh, I think the best part about him in the characterization is that John Cena already has that that that, that dude bro look to him. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, fuck it. Fucking, like, the pop-collared, and, mm -hmm. like, if you go back to 2010, the pop-collared, fucking Aeropostale, uh, Abercrombie <laughs> and shirt. Yeah, I know, like, right? But it's made out of an American flag. He has a, he has a, 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 a bullet belt on, and just, and he, he just, he, he shits and bleeds. <laughs> American, American pie. 
Apple pie, that's that's what he is. <laughs> All right. And yeah, and also this is almost feels like a bit of typecasting as well, because John Cena is a good example of a gentle giant, you know, he out outside wrestling, he's a really nice guy to his fans and to his fellow wrestlers, but his character Exactly, yeah, but Peacemaker is not none of those things really. But also, you can see there is almost like a human side to him because, as we warned you before, spoiler alert, even though he ends up turning on Task Force X and killing Flag, you can see he just feels disgusted by by what he's doing, but nonetheless, he goes for it anyway because, again, if it's in the name of national security, no problemo. Yeah, um... The scene with him and Rick Flag, man, I, I I was hurt by that, man. Cause, and and they just like you're like, okay, maybe you didn't kill him, and then they did the the close up on Rick's heart getting oh. stabbed. I was hurt, but I was like, dude, Rick, not Rick. And you were, and because like I said, Rick Flag is really kind of supposed to be the um the conduit from which we as the audience ride through. But once again, man, I mean, nobody is safe. When Rick when Rick died, I was like. I, that, 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 that death actually hurt me more than than anything in the movie. That death mm, right there it was. was the worst one. I was like, oh my god, that sucks. And it also helps that Rick Flagg, they really improved upon his character in the last one. He has for one, he actually has a personality and a purpose in this film. Because in the last one, he all he just did was shout out exposition whenever he needs to. But yeah, yeah they really... And on top of that, his chemistry, you can see his friendship with the others, especially with Harley. Yeah, he, and that's what I was saying before. Uh, Rick has rapport with almost all of them. Not just because he's the leader of the of the team, but but because of like his military service as well. And Peacemaker was like, you, you, you see, you saw how he was still respectful of Rick's service. Like even while betraying him, he was like, I'm sorry, sir, I have to do it. I respect, he says, you're, you're, he says, you're a hero in your own right. And I, I'll, you know, and I, I respect your record, but this has to be done. And you're like, all that respect and you still are gonna stab this man in the back. Him and Dubois, he was like, yeah, man, you know, like, him and Dubois have a history because I, if, I'm, if I'm not mistaken in, in the movie universe they serve together if I'm not mistaken I believe so yeah yeah, yeah so <laughs> they have a like I said it's a rapport that's why him when when you see Rick in, in the bar he was like here's to another 10 hours another 3 hours of living and you see him lighten up you, like he's not just this stiff like cause Joel Kinnaman is a, is a very good actor mm-hmm. I love Joel Kinnaman um you know, and he has great range as an actor. And I think this movie, be, being that it didn't take itself too serious, mm. it was it allowed him to actually take the material and be able to work with it properly and be an embodiment of like, oh god, this lady's gonna have me fucking killed. <laughs> like just like you know, you could just see his reluctance in certain things, but when it all boiled down, regardless of what Waller wanted, he still wants the right thing. Not the, not the uh, American thing, but the right thing. Exactly, he has a conscience. Yeah. Yes, because you saw you saw how disgusted he was when uh, Thinker told him about. He's like, these are fucking kids, pregnant women. Like it, like he, it was like, 
you almost saw him like break that. You almost like you know it doesn't take it, like a soldier in battle. If you've ever like maybe you've ever heard of war, war stories, they talk about a soldier in battle. You know you can't lose your edge. It's nothing like seeing something so degrading that it causes a battle-hardened man that has seen combat in and out through and through to break down. And that's one thing I did enjoy about well, I didn't enjoy his misery, but you see the characterization of like like almost vomit inducing. Like you just saw the look on his face and he was like like no, like no, this is not the way. Yeah, exactly. That's and also it must be a huge betrayal from Rick's perspective too because you love your country a lot and to find out the country that you love that you dedicated your life to has been doing covering up all such horrific things to women children even that is just unforgivable like your trust your faith is just in the government in your country is just broken beyond repair it's dead on arrival man I mean um I'm going to quote a, a character that, that Joel Kinnaman played because it, it relates to Rick Flagg um, when he was Takeshi Kovach in uh, Ultra Carbon. Remember what he told mm. Lawrence Bancroft? He said, I fought a fucking war to stop people like you. <laughs> like, and think about that. In, in, in the context of him being Rick Flagg, I fought a war to stop motherfuckers like you just to be subjugated by it. Oh, yeah. The hypocrisy is just baffling. Yes, yes, man. But uh, RIP to Rick Flagg, man. Mm-hmm. Bro, that, I, I, I kind of teared up a little bit on, on, that, on that part, man. I was like, oh, fuck, man. Not Rick, bro. I, I actually, I was like, that was, the one, that was the one death that you were like, shit. They went there. They really fucking went there. Yeah, Just, no, and no, nobody said No. Like, and, and once again, you it's like, you, you hate that he died, but you got to respect James Gunn for saying, fuck it. My last name ain't Gunn for no reason. And it ain't, che- it ain't Chekhov's either. I'm a motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> right? I know. And also on, on top of that, I really can't wait what for the the upcoming Peacemaker series, by the way, because which James Gunn will direct, because spoiler alert, in, and huge spoilers, in the post credit scene, Peacemaker is revealed to have been alive this whole time, which I'm guessing some of you knew, given how James Gunn will be directing a solo Peacemaker series for HBO Max come January 2022. Can't wait for uh, that I think, either. I think, yeah, I think, uh, they, I think they wrapped shooting recently, actually. They, they did, they, yes. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, Okay, man, what, 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 what are we on to next, man? Because I'm, <laughs> I'm following you lead, brother. <laughs> well, of course, since we're nearly there on the characters, I thought it's time we talk about the elephant, or should I say the starfish in the room, Starro. Because Starro, he is, first off, the CGI is phenomenal and i love how even though he's this big kaiju that just wants to destroy the city or a freaking kaiju up in the shit they really gave him like a characterization like almost if you think about it starro is like an an abuse victim fighting back against those who tortured him it really humanizes the character that to the point that for for a while you just don't want him to lose and at the same time you don't want the squad to lose either it's like it's quite a complex thought if you think about it yeah i mean because um the thinker even though the thinker is um kind of a secondary 
character in the movie. Um, his arrogance shows how unwilling human beings are not, are not, or how unwilling we are human beings as human beings to not give over control, one, and two, how we want to control everything in the universe, even if it's planets apart. We want it to ourselves. And the fact that he was like, yeah, I know the beast, the beast knows me. And it's like that, it's that arrogant, um, uh, there's a, there's a trope for that called like this the air the uh the arrogant ringmaster or whatever it's like ah only I can control the beast not knowing that the only reason why you can control it or the audience not knowing the only reason why you can control it is because you keep it subjugated if you let that fucking beast go it's gonna kill you which thank God I'm glad Starro that was one death I was like yeah get rid of this asshole <laughs> I, was happy, I was happy he split the finger down oh yeah satisfying indeed. Yeah, because the arrogance of humanity is thinking that nature is in their control rather than the other way around. Because that's another human and very fatal flaw we have. We think, especially those with power, think that we're limitless. But as Starro has proven us, no, we are not. Yeah. Oh, yes. And Starro, uh, the characterization of him being that uh, when he met his final demise, he said, I was just floating in space, enjoying the sun to start. Mm. Doing, I mean, it, you, you, you were like, shit. And he's a victim of circumstance. Like, it's like, even though he's a hive mind, he didn't come to Earth by his own volition. He was captured. Mm-hmm. He goes, I was happy when I was just floating, watching the world be what it is. And you would almost think that um, him being a hive mind is actually almost like, and this is just me kind of adding exposition when well i exposition, but adding a, a little understanding to the character it's almost like him being a hive mind is like his it's like antibodies mm-hmm. right that's how he protects himself you know because if you were this big celestial starfish and you existed in a vacuum of space who's to say to all these 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 space grabs we're not a virus to you right what, what, what does it say that we're not a virus and the, those, those stars are basically like white blood cells like oh yeah we're about to cure you all right Right. It's, and you become a part of the hive mind because it, that's the way it protects itself. It doesn't have any formal, like it doesn't shoot lasers. It does. He doesn't have psionic waves like mm-hmm. the fucking squids from the Watchmen. You know, he or allegedly, um, he basically is just he, he's a victim of circumstance, true in true alien fashion. That's like, right. Because like when they talk about aliens being on Earth, I would assume that they were snatched up and brought here, not that they crash landed here. Mm-hmm. Right, exactly, yeah. yeah, I agree 100%. Starro is, to call Starro a villain would almost feel like an exaggeration because Starro, as you mentioned, is not a villain. He's a victim. It's almost like uh, Starro's whole predicament is like that of animal cruelty, if you think about it. An animal that's being taken, a wild animal taken from its natural habitat, and then it's taken into some foreign prison for its for a long period of time and just a few minutes after he got its fr- his freedom he dies it's real and it's not some his last words are not like curse you i will destroy you it's more like a a lamentation really like alas poor villain i mean alas poor starro yeah uh, almost like uh kind of like killmonger you know his last words it's almost like that you know you feel bad knowing that you know this this happened like this but you know it, it, it comes to the territory and then 
um, I might say, I mean, just um, DC has a villain problem in the sense that they don't know how to contextualize their villains. Just like Marvel has a bad habit of killing their good villains. Right. DC has a bad habit of not contextualizing their villains and or contextualizing the threat. I'm not going to say the villain, but the threat. And one issue that, I mean, if I, if I can give any criticism to the film, it's, re- it's really shit. Um, it didn't give, I feel like it didn't give me just one thing. And it's petty. I, I was like, man, they should have given me just a little bit more of like, of like outside influences to the to the squad itself, like a, a other DC callbacks, but not necessarily to the point where it needs to be an, an agnosium, but just like a nice wink and nod, kind of like you know Dubois shooting Superman with mm-hmm. a kryptonite bullet, and you're thinking, well, in the DCU where that happened because Superman, you know, but that doesn't matter. You don't ask that question. So when I say add a little more context to the villain, I think Starro. One thing they could they could have added context to is that they could have been like, oh, Starfish, uh, Friday Starfish did survive alongside with Peacemaker. Right. Yeah. Like, you know, I may I may have not retrieved the data disk, but I did retrieve assets. Right. That, wow. And that's that's and that's my that's minor. Oh. Everything else, I mean, that, and that's like that's like that wouldn't take my rating off the film. Like a bit of a nit- nitpick, let's say, more like a yeah. Yeah, yeah. Of course, it is petty. <laughs> But of course, while many people might say, oh, Starro is the big threat, of course, they tend to miss the crucial point. The real villain is Waller. Waller, yes. She thinks like she is the villain. She is always behind everything. She really is the voice of God. And there's if there's one thing Suicide Squad got right was casting Viola Davis as Waller. Because she really encapsulates everything. The character of Waller, you know, cold, ruthless, calculating. That dead she like I, I know you could be like, well anybody can play up on a dead I'm like, no. Viola Davis does that look like if you ever seen Amanda Waller in the in the animated series, mm-hmm. that, that 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 blank that blank, I'll kill you, Bruce. Right. I'll kill you, Mark. I'll kill you, Diana. If it means making sure America's assets are fulfilled, I will kill you. No. Like that. but it, it's not like any emotion it's just like remember if you ever notice wall is one of those people that she never loses her cool at oh. all right unless you defy her oh yeah yeah the part yeah when the squad defied her orders and she just loses it that was it was scary also to just see this stoic composed woman just suffer an absolute breakdown Villainous breakdown, really. It's it, it juxtaposed with uh, Rick Flagg's breakdown. If you if you look at them like side by side, look at the difference of the information in in in, in the defiant of orders. Rick was like, "Oh, what the like," gut wrenched, and then her when she loses her composure, she's slobbering. She get back here, and she was. And she and she looks at them as they are assets too, but you will not defy me. And the fact that they knocked her over the head, I was like, Y'all gonna get away with that? All right. Are y'all really gonna get away with that? <laughs> oh, they are so fired or worse. <laughs> oh, oh no, they they got put on shit duty because they have all of those characters, 
that, that we saw in the office and, and uh, that were basically taking money like bets. All of those characters are going to come back in the Peacemaker show because Ooh. they defied Waller. They 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 are on shit duty now, so they have to look after Peacemaker as like as an as basically an intelligentsia unit for him. So Ooh. now you got to take orders from this douchebag asshole, <laughs> and Waller's going to give him free reign too. Like, okay, y'all gonna hit me in the head? You said Peacemaker's alive. All right, all right I got you, motherfuckers. Y'all are all going back to level one. Uh, you're 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 damn near no better than a fucking intern. Your pay is cut. Fuck all of you. <laughs> you have to look after him. Oh, Waller. Like that's another thing about Waller, because she, this woman, is really smart as hell. Even when she loses, she still wins. She is a chess master. No wonder Batman is a little frightened of her. He, in fact, okay. those who don't know, yeah, Waller, she she knows who Batman is and she uses his secret identity as leverage over him. Yep. Now, I said that earlier in the uh, stream when I was like, um, yeah, like, Batman is one of the, like, uh, Waller is what has been considered the female, well, the, the Batman guard corporate, you know, like she really is like, she's, she's so calculative. If you would have, if, if Waller, if you would give Waller a, a, a superhero identity, she would probably be greater than, well, not superhero, but a vigilante identity. Dude, I, I'm gonna be honest with you. She, she, she's badass without it. She don't need it. That's how <laughs> badass she is. It's like, if you would try to give her one, she'd be like, I don't need that. I control people with those. You know that, right? Right. Yeah. Like, wow. She. That woman is. She's scary. She is a woman you do not want to cross at all. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm pretty sure she doesn't have a husband. Like, she probably ate his ate his liver or something. <laughs> like, I'm pretty sure any man that she she's laid down with. No one will ever know this happened. <laughs> Blows him up. <laughs> no, you don't know half the things she's done. Nope. And on top of that, also much like they did with Rick Flag, they while Viola Davis really knocked it out of the park in the 2016 one, her character was they kind of downplayed the intelligence part of her because all of the plot of Suicide Squad, the 2016 one, happened because she was just clueless because she has no idea what she was doing the whole time. It made, it made it look as if her intelligence was more like an informed attribute, more like a tell but don't show. But in the Suicide Squad, they put her right back on track. Yeah, I've, I'm cringing right now thinking about like that comparison. Viola Davis, man, I mean, I, she's one of my favorite actors. Mm, she I, I, is. You know, I, I, the sister is beautiful sister knows how to handle every role every assignment she's given she knows how to handle it really well and i think amanda waller is one of those few characters where it's like you could have gotten somebody else but what but is it but is it viola davis oh definitely a perfect choice definitely exactly. perfect the only choice really viola davis on top of that she really knows how to play these like strict authoritative figures and Viola Davis, she even read an entire book on the symptoms of a sociopath to prepare herself for the role of Waller. I mean, oh, yeah. I mean, though Waller, is, she wears pearls and her nice presidential uh, blazer, she's with the shit. <laughs> don't, don't play with Waller. No. Like, dude, like, if you've read any of the Suicide, uh, Su Suicide Squad comics, 
if I'm not mistaken, there was a character that gave her back lip and she killed him and had him replaced in like a minute. Mm, tough as nails, like, woman. T- nails, man. That, that, that woman is a dwarf star dropped with a dip of vibranium wrapped in adamantium <laughs> and, um, and Uluru metal. Like, she is all of that wrapped in, in spades. Like, Ooh. she do... I, I'm gonna just say this. This is my last statement about Amanda Waller. Don't fuck with the wall. That is her, <laughs> that, that is her name. Her nickname is the wall. Oh yeah. You do not fuck with the wall. Oh no. Now that now that is one evil woman. <laughs> we love her all for it. Yeah. Oh god. And, Ooh, didn't, the, didn't the Flash say that in a, the? Uh, oh oh no that was that was that is just a mean lady in the. Yeah, and also yeah, cause Waller she you can also see how. She just doesn't give a shit. She just treats everyone as if they're expendable. But then again, given this is Waller we're talking about, it shouldn't come as a surprise. Right. I mean, I mean, uh, just like I said, you don't fuck with like like I said, I have no other words left about Waller, man. Don't fuck with the wall, man. (laughs) I mean, a person that's personified as Batman's mental equal, which they're not very many. And strategy and, and, and cunning. I don't want no. I don't want the problems. You don't want the problems. Nobody wants the. You don't really want the problems. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I'm good. Oh no, no. And that is just and that wraps up our section on the characters because really the characters they really made the movie and on top of that. Even those big screen time, no screen time, big big impact, small impact, every single character gets a chance to shine in this film. I love it how Ratcatcher, she's the one who saved the day also in a way. Everyone, everyone contributes something to the team. No one feels left out or useless here. It's just outstanding. Fucking A. Yeah, uh, my bad, man. Um, my bad. I had to send a message. Um, yes, ex- exactly. Um, I think the biggest thing about Waller. Well, not Waller. Well, not God. <laughs> no ah, worries. No my worries. Bad. My bad. My bad. Um, I took myself off track. The, the the biggest thing about the whole team as the team as a whole is that when it comes to Starro, I love how Dubois took charge and was like, mm. "Fuck it," because he's like, "Well, we gotta go. Mission's over." And they were like, "Really?" And then he stops and he's like, ah, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> and, and when they go back in, I love how he's like, Harley, take the high ground. And I, I don't know if you noticed when she jumped up into, the, I, I had a big problem. I, I, I get she's Olympic level, uh, level athlete, but I noticed the tethering of CGI that they used to make her jump that high. Mm-hmm. I'm like, why did y- y'all should just have a pole vault with the, with, with the javelin and then have her go up and uh the MacGuffin of the javelin being special that was also funny too um but when he goes hey the Norway num num what the num num okay and the Norway went and started chewing the fuck about the <laughs> and I love how Dubois every single piece of his his uh gadgetry and weaponry is like micro uh it's like net uh like it's a nanite infused and he he basically takes out the big he brings out the big guns he takes all of his packs <laughs> combines them for his weaponry and I was like this is fucking awesome looks like something straight out of the Transformers too 
yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just, I loved it. And then Polka Dot Man, uh, his great demise. And he was like, yeah, I'm a superhero. I'm a motherfucking squash. I'm like, what? What the fuck? So everybody got a chance to shine because even Polka Dot Man was able to cripple Starro um, by seeing a big, large kaiju version of his mother, uh, which was funny. And then Harley jumping into his eye and then you see Starro is not completely, um, he's kind of malleable and you're the, you're the inside of his, his eye and you start seeing the circuitry. Ratcatcher puts all her rats on him and then they all go in and chew up the insides of his, um, of his, um, uh, whoa, whoa, his, um, his uh, corneas, his retina. Yeah, his, yeah, his retina, and they, they're just basically, well, essentially his brain, and they just, they look, basically liquefy him. And it's like, dude, like, <laughs> and Harley just has that moment where it's like, like, oh, like, she's still being kind of wacky, but it's like, oh, yeah, you know. And props to the music for that scene as well. The music for that scene was just so awe-inspiring and very triumphant, which really makes it not the kind of music you'd hear when you'd see a bunch of rats disemboweling a starfish from the inside. Right. <laughs> and um, I think uh, one of the best, the one of the best parts about the movie, uh, just putting putting everything on the table, it didn't take itself super serious. Mm -hmm. where, it, it like as the you know it, it didn't take itself super it didn't take itself super serious but it did take the source material serious mm -hmm. if that make if, if that makes sense. it does yes like, yes like the material itself is upheld over the pastiche of yeah yeah we're the suicide squad bro yeah no it's like we're the fucking suicide squad like, come on like like if you were if you were to do a press run with the actual characters for this movie, right? If you were to put them next to their counterparts in the 2016 version, 2016 version is like a bunch of um, cosplayers doing <laughs> doing a, a um, doing a gangster LA version of the Suicide Squad, and it's like, oh, that's a cool little Elseworld story you got there, and then you got the guys from this movie going, ah, we're about to go fucking die. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> I hope so. And then looking at the 2016 versions, like, fucking pansies. <laughs> just look like, I fucking hate you guys. Like, just, you can just see it. And the thing that I think that cap that encapsulates the film, like, you know, I'm not going to talk about my favorite scenes just yet, but one of those parts of, like, badassery, like, taking the source material serious, but it was a moment where it took itself serious, and it was fucking perfect. And, it, and then and then it then it highlighted uh it highlighted a, a um it paid off something from the beginning of the movie. I think you know what I'm talking about. It did, but, yes, yeah. it did. And yeah, also it, no, and your point is I agree, it really paid respect. This, I feel this is really a love letter also to all fans of the Suicide Squad that they knew, loved, and grew up with from the comics too. And also, not only did it improve upon as a comic book adaptation, but also it really, another 
continue the winning streak of the DCEU because this film, it really restored my faith in the DCEU even more. Well, I, I know technically we've had Black Widow and all the other MCU films that are yet to come, but so far I think that this year goes to DC, especially with the Suicide Squad and back in, of course, with the Snyder Cut. And with all, like, yes, we all know the DCEU, it has had a rough start, but lately it's been going pretty good, especially mostly anything post-2017 uh, Justice League. We've got Aquaman, Shazam, to an extent Birds of Prey, and... I haven't seen Birds of Prey yet, and I haven't seen the Joker film because I... I like Unlike a lot of people, it, it's like I, I have to do things in sections sometimes. Um, I think the best thing I can tell you is that um, if, when I do go watch the Joker film, I want to watch it with a different lens. When I watch Birds of Prey, I want to watch it with a different lens and not think of a connective tissue universe and just look at it as a standalone. But you are, but to your point about them winning with the Snyder Cut, the Snyder Cut was phenomenal. I loved it. And um, I think WB needs to do the one thing that they're afraid to do, which is we, we need to do a whole episode. Like we talked about off the cuff when I'm talking about fixing, fixing the DCEU properly. We need to do a whole episode just just talking about fixing, just fixing what where the missteps were, how to fix them now, in retrospect, and then what we expect from the future, and what we want from the future. Of course, definitely done and done, and on top of that, also with this film, with the Suicide Squad too. And with this whole winning streak for the DCEU, and on top of that, coupled with all these upcoming DC projects like The Batman, Black Adam, and Aquaman 2, I, I think... Ready for I'm ready for Black Adam. Uh, uh, just, that, is the one, like, that is the one I'm waiting for. I've been waiting for this since I was like... I'll say at least 19. Ooh, nice. And Dwayne The Rock Johnson, I'm sure he will kill it. Like, he does in everything he stars in, for sure. And I think, and as I said back then, when I reviewed the Snyder Cut with our good friend Emmanuel, I think we all can agree that the DCEU and all the future of DC Comics and film is looking to a very good, bright future and the Suicide Squad more than proves the point. And it, and it proves one valid point about what the fans have been saying. Stop being afraid to do the to, to do what has been set out already. Like, oh, stop being afraid to take the risk on the right thing instead of saying, well, we're gonna take the risk on the on the risky. It's like no. Like like I said, with, with Loki, if and uh, spoiler alert for those who had seen it, when they put Jonathan Majors at the end of the Loki TV series, and I'm high, I'm reason why I'm bringing this up is because they learned that from WandaVision, Falcon and Winter Soldier, you cannot be afraid to do the thing that you... What, like when people are predicting what you're going to do, right? And you don't want people to predict the worst. But when people are predicting the best parts and you don't do the best parts, you actually failed your fans. Mm, right. And I know you want to surprise the fans, but you're really surprising the hardcore people. And the casual person is there for a ride. You need to not worry about the casual fan. So when Loki decided to put John the Majors in there, we know he's going to be Kane. And when he came out, 
as he who remains slash immortus, we knew what that meant. And we was like, they did the thing. They were not afraid to take that chance. DC needs to stop being afraid to take that chance on whether it be properly uh, showing uh, your characters developed you know, in a certain way, whether it be, you know, actually going based on the source material and say, be damn, you know, damn the casual fan, you're going to, you're going to invite people in and let them have a, a, an experience learning these characters without spoon feeding them the whole time. The Watchmen movie was a cult classic. It is, it's, a, it's effectively a cult classic was, now. yeah. But, but, because... Even though it it was, it was critically air pan, it was another sign. It was another signer vehicle. The thing about it is, and even if Alan Moore said he didn't like it, so many people love that movie because it reminds them of it it, it. it was something risky, but it was well done, well received. Like V for Vendetta. These are things that uh, with these are things that are easily rectified. But right. once again, the Suicide Squad took the risk. And James Gunn was like, if, if y'all let me do my thing, I will give you results. And he and his thing is showing love to the material. And, and that's did. what counts. And us as fans, us as lovers of fans, nerds of, 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 of the of the of the uh of the of the DC comics, of DC comics and Marvel, us nerds in that fa- fashion, nerds in film and cinema, nerds in, you know, music, whatever perspective show love to the source material. Rico, that was quite a very inspirational speech. You you pretty much nailed all those points. Yes. Thank you because there has to be a there has to be a level of trust also between Warner Brothers and their filmmakers. They don't trust their writers that they can do a good job with what they're given and what made the Suicide Squad really stand out was that was what made superhero films great in the first place. It wasn't the big studios mandating, controlling everything. It was all about independent filmmakers working around the clock to make their vision a reality. It was all down on the filmmakers. It started with them and it ended with them. Exactly. And and if I could add any more context to it um we learned this from wesley snipes reinvigorating character blade really a d-list character in the comics he took this person who was a d-list character pulled him up gave him a new image and now every image in, in, in every image of blade that you see now is based off wesley snipes in some form or fashion right wow that's what I mean by invigorating the character, reinvigorating the character, but also taking a risk on a character that nobody knows. Nobody knew about Blade, but we saw it and we fell in love. We so did. Stop, they need to stop acting like, oh, the casual audience, casual, damn the casual audience. <laughs> People are coming for the source material. The casual audience is just going to come because the, the the hardcore people are like, yo, come come on, come come see. Me. So, like 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 we. Thank you for bringing that up too also. And on top of that, 
one really it's such a relief also that lately the DCEU has been course correcting it looks like they're really learning from their mistakes like even and I speak this as a fan because even after all those stinkers we've had like Suicide Squad and especially the 2017 Justice League I never gave up on the DCEU because I know deep down even from the beginning it still has that potential to be great again and wow this film the suicide squad was everything it's almost like a, a lighter version of the snyder cut if you think about it it's like they're course correcting a previous team-up film they made by and they act as if the first time didn't count also uh, what they, what they're they're treating it as a seek a seek what somebody said a seek boot or re, uh like a sequel slash reboot it, it's both um because Harley Boomerang and Rick have rapport and then you're you're let you're, you're let to believe that the other characters have died off or they're just not being used for the film um one thing I will say is that James Gunn was like hey look you can acknowledge those films or you can come enjoy this one. Like, you can acknowledge the fi those films in this film, but you're going to enjoy this film while you're doing it. Right, and that's another bonus point as well. The, the Suicide Squad, it really succeeds at being a standalone film too. You don't need to watch the last one. Definitely don't have to watch it to really enjoy this one. Um, don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> Save yourself the eyeball strain and... and, and mm -hmm. I, in the eye rolls, obviously. Right, and on top of that, yeah, there is one mention of Superman in the film, but it really does a good job of being its own thing. Just a film that we can enjoy without needing to connect the dots to this bigger, larger universe, which is something the last one had, you know, with shoehorn cameos of Batman and The Flash all in the film, which kind of detracted from the main story. But here in the Suicide Squad, it's just one mention, just one single mention of Superman, and that's it. It doesn't detract or distract you from the main story. It lets you know this is about the Suicide Squad, not the whole DCEU universe. Exactly. And, uh, hmm. Just like Guardians. Guardians... Uh, I mean, was its own story. It didn't have to, like, you knew it was a Marvel film. You knew it was connected in some form or fashion, other than Peter Quill being from Earth. And that's really about it. Everything else is cosmic. So in this film, it, it, it like I said, James Gunn, man, I mean, I, I can't give the dude enough praise for being able to come in and say, you know what? I'm not going to use what David Ayer did, but I'm going to utilize what the source material is, and I'm going to understand that and then just show you how to show you how to work with it because i think um the best way to explain it is that a connective universe doesn't need to be stepped out like like you don't have to remind the audience that it's a connected universe once again holding the hand of the audience when we watched suicide squad we understood who these characters were pretty much like even if they were d-listers you could have been like oh yeah um the same explainers that, that Amanda Waller gave in this movie, you could have done in the first one. Deadshot, tried to assassinate the president t uh, two times, got paid um, this, that, and forth, apprehended by Batman, leader of my squad, uh, second to Rick Flagg. Done. Easy. 
<laughs> you know, but I'm just using that as, you know, as a, as a point of reference. But yeah, brother, you know, I, I think that the DCU is back on track. Uh, we're going to see how they do. Because Aquaman, I loved it. Uh, <clears throat> Fire Amber Heard. Um, I think um, <laughs> I think um, the next thing that we're looking for is we're not looking for the connective universe. We're looking for good films based on these characters. Exactly. Right. 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 You're, you nailed all those points. You basically, you read my mind as well, too. Because that, yeah, that, the DCU is great when it tries to be its own thing without trying to outdo or copy Marvel. Just be yourself. That's, right. it's that simple, really. And on top of that, also, this film, aside from the whole DCEU thing, it also gave me a newfound respect and appreciation for the artistic talent of James Gunn. And I know I might get a lot of flack and controversy when I'm about to say this, but while I still love that Guardians of the Galaxy, personally, I consider James Gunn's Suicide Squad to be my favorite film by him because don't get me wrong Guardians of the Galaxy is great but I feel the Suicide Squad stands above that for its I just love the aesthetic the style that's one thing the DCEU just has over the one of the few victories it has over Marvel each film if you notice feels aesthetically different from the other it really feels like a different film rather than copying the same style over again on top of that suicide squad the, the i mean the suicide squad stands over the uh guardians for having a more you know a more interesting and compelling villain i feel because in guardians yeah you know how the mcu and its villains i've said this before and i won't say it again yada 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 <laughs> yeah i mean no it's fine brother i mean i'm 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 really just I'm hearing I'm hearing you say this and I'm I can't I can't disagree with you I I can't disagree with you on that because uh, to that point um, I think because it is a hard R and it allows a little more room to do what you want to do um, Marvel Disney owns Marvel and Disney is a family company and they're trying to navigate how to do what was just done basically. How do we put Deadpool in the in the in the in the DC? I mean, in the uh, MCU. Oh. You can't. You can't. You can't. Yes, you can. Y'all are just cowards. Y'all are afraid. <laughs> Y'all are afraid of what it does to. Oh, what about the children? That's why we have rating systems. Take the Disney logo off of it and just leave it as Marvel, or have a Marvel black label, or have you know a different label of Marvel uh, do the filming. I mean, like I said once again. Or even better, the best way you can put Deadpool into a Mar- Marvel film is very easy. All you do is you you believe him, you believe him in the movie, hmm. but, he, but he's still doing the crazy shit that he usually does. But you just bleep out all the shit that he says if you want to keep it PG thirteen. But then the way that you get the MCU around to having Deadpool in an R rated setting. You bring main mainstays in the MCU into the Deadpool movie. Right. Whoa. Whoa. I. I huh. I never even thought of that. Genius. Just saying that it's there's a workaround. So James Gunn being able to do this is because 
they were like, we're going for a hard R, we're going for we're going for the source material, and we're going to entertain. It doesn't take much. No. It's real simple. Mm-hmm. And James Gunn, I mean, I think this is probably the best film I've seen that he's directed. That I've seen probably any comic book uh comic book uh director do outside of Ryan Coogler and um um and uh, well OG Sam you know Sam Ram Ramy's uh Spider Man two. Wow. You know. Mm-hmm. I, you know, outside of that, I mean, hey man, I mean I think this is the best comic book film done by by a producer who has done both Marvel and DC. So he's proved he's proved he's proved one one solid point that the fans like us have been saying. Give the director his credit to do what he needs to do. Not too much oversight. Marvel, but but DC doesn't have a Kevin Feige. No. Well, the closest thing they had to a Kevin Feige as the screen, as the YouTube channel on his trailers, which I blab and I highly recommend. The closest thing DCU has to a Kevin Feige is, believe it or not, Donald Trump's treasure secretary. Yes. Yes, no, this is not a joke. And you have you ever wondered, huh, why do these guys hate Ray Fisher? Hmm? There's your answer right there. Oh, well, right. Cause... Yeah, Ray, I mean, that's a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a topic for another time. I'll, mm-hmm. I'll, another time. Let's, well, let's fo- stay on topic. Focus, Rico, focus. But, but uh, yeah, man, uh, I think James Gunn really brought, he really, he really brought context to the characters. And then, like, to your point about the different, um, the texturing, the the different um, different palettes of characterization amongst the the films. I like Batman v Superman. We we talked about it before. I like Batman v Superman. Like it, it, even though it has its flaws, I still think it's. I wouldn't even call it a guilty pleasure. I'll happily watch the film. Yeah, me too. I wouldn't, call it, I wouldn't go as far as call it a guilty pleasure. But you take that and juxtapose it with One Woman, nineteen eighty. You're like, yeah. okay, I see how this is a little bit better, <laughs> and, and I love the first Wonder Woman film. So, but, 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 but the first Wonder Woman film, I think, is beautifully done. Like the first Man of Steel, Batman v Superman, and the Wonder Woman, the first Wonder Woman film. I think those three films are really good. I think, like, if because the um, texturing of each film is actually different, even though Bat, like I said, Batman v Superman is a Batman film featuring Superman. Mm-hmm. That's why I feel like that's Batman's movie. Man of Steel, it's texture, even though it's dark. It still has a different lighting, different. It's still textured differently. Even the way Clark looks in the film is slightly different. Mm-hmm, so, right. I mean, so I just, I mean, man, like, I, I'll, I'll start fanboying if I don't keep myself under control right now. <laughs> no worries. I suggest you embrace it even more. Let it out. Because, yeah, this is really a huge major step i just love it when these different directors they try to experiment with the superhero genre rather than going on with the same material and a bit the same old formula and on also since we are nearly there i would like to discuss now the final verdict what is your favorite scene from the suicide squad how would you rate it from one to ten? And would you recommend this to all casual moviegoers? All right, let me get some up my rating real quick. Um, uh, I get my Alex Jones voice. <laughs> my fa- okay. Um, my rating for the film is gonna be a nine 
5.5. Whoa. And, oh, nice. And, oh, it's only five points off for me being petty. That's it. And, and I mean, it w- I would put it at a 10, but I think the, the, the petty part really is more or less, I guess, um, like I told you, the contextualizing of uh, Starro and adding a little more contextual. But even then, that pettiness is like, and it'll be a 10. So it, it, it ranges there. But it's it's hard to find flaws with the with the film. I think the only flaw I found was that they knocked out Amanda Waller, but they rectified that mm. at the end with the peacemaker thing. But my rating nine point five, highly recommended. Um, shouts out to Double Toasted. They'll be like a better than sex, uh, high rental, whatever, whatever. But uh, I I say full price, pay for it, man. Go go watch it, watch it again, watch it again. It is a great film. Favorite scene, Bloodsport. Superhero landing. Probably one of the most awesome fucking superhero landings ever. <laughs> fucking Andrews Elba as Bloodsport. Dubois looked badass. And the uh, the fact that he assessed the situation quickly, he saw Flag was dead. Um, well, no, he didn't see Flag was dead. But he saw Ratcatcher was about to get killed by Peacemaker. He was, and instantly. And then he kills him with a smaller bullet. Oh. <laughs> Peacemaker, <laughs> eat your heart out. Eat your fucking heart out. <laughs> Love the scene. The superhero landing was probably the best superhero landing I've seen. And maybe, maybe I'm over exaggerating, but I do just the way the way he landed, it was like he just looked up like fuck and instantly knew. But favorite scene, whole I think that, that that's the one that that's that takes the cake for the film for me. <laughs> wow. Well, yeah, that, it was almost like an elevator. Like a fucking elevator. He just kept descending. He was scared. But then he felt like, oh, I see where this is going now. <laughs> wow. Right. Really well done. And, well, for me, this may sound for me being way too lean, but I'm sorry, but I'm giving The Suicide Squad a 10 out of 10 this film is a fucking masterpiece every sense of the word i'd recommend it to every single person with eyes and ears it's for for both dc fans whether you love the comics or not i highly recommend you watch this if you haven't go buy a ticket right now and favorite scene is surprisingly one that isn't action oriented but right before Bloodsport Superhero Landing. I I love it when Nanawe goes up to the aquarium and is just finds his new friends. Spoiler alert, they are not friends, but I don't know, it's just there's just something very sweet and satisfying, a bit endearing about that scene. I don't know if it's either the from the the way he's just happy and even Sylvester Stallone's voice this scene is just one I keep coming back to over and over again because anything now that in which King Shark shows up is already a double plus for me but this one I feel it takes the cake it really shows us that he is just a sweet huggable teddy bear beneath that killer murderous shark instinct stunned isn't it who'd have thought that a killing machine with a propensity for eating people whole and ripping their heads off would be the sweetest character in the film but James Gunn pulled it off and I could not be all the more proud of it so here's to you James Gunn Bravo, James Gunn. Bravo. Nice. Uh, nom nom. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
fake mustache. <laughs> oh my god! Oh god! <laughs> oh god! <laughs> and when it was like, no, that won't work. Fuck! <laughs> god. God, God bless him for keeping him alive. Really, stop it. Let's forget about the Peacemaker series. We need a King Shark solo series right now. Now that oh, is a dream man. come true for me. They, they, I, would, I, I ain't gonna lie to you. I, I don't know if it, will, it would be overkill because of the Harley Quinn series, but I think I would be like, man, I would take a King Shark series like the uh, James Gunn's version. I would take an animated version, or even a, even a, even a, um, a kind of a. 3D uh, uh, CG animation version of it, um, I, like kind of like in the vein of the uh, 2014 Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles series. Uh, I would I would take that and have it R-rated and just have him just being a child, like almost like an attack dog for a uh, rat catcher. <laughs> Not. Uh, that would be an interesting concept as well, yeah. Oh, and one, one final note before we cap this off. Uh, one Easter egg I noticed when all the little starfish uh, face huggers almost were spread out. Also, Ratcatcher, for a moment, she grabs a gas mask, which is her classic look in the comic books as well, for uh, Ratcatcher 1 and 2 as well. N- nice right. nod, by the way. Yeah. Right, 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 right. I See, I, oh, I, I forgot about that. Oh Lord, uh, but man, look, it, it, this has been—I've been dying to talk about this. Uh, I'm glad you you brought me back in, back in the show. I know we, we was a little bit more so off the cuff, but you know, like like our regular conversations. And I mean, I do—I I just enjoy—I enjoy having these talks, man. They're always fucking awesome. It's fun being a guest on your on your show, brother. I mean, it really is. Like I said, once I get my work schedule worked out, I'll start doing the XRRX uh, podcast. In you know, uh, in perpetuity. So, because uh, like I said, I've already had Emmanuel on. I want to make sure I get you on. I'd love uh, to. Sign me the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man. Hey, man. I, I'm, I got you, brother. I got you. Awesome. Thanks. And also, I also enjoy having you in these episodes and definitely more to come with you as well. And looks like that is all the time we have left. Wow, this has been two fucking hours like that i think we pretty much covered everything we need to say about this film wouldn't you say yeah it doesn't even feel like two hours (laughs) (laughs) i feel like i just sat down a second ago actually nice and until then next week for our show we will be discussing one of the greatest and most influential horror films of all time the texas chainsaw massacre nope not the remake but the original one until then this has been sin city with your host nick Manessis, joined by texas rico t allen see you next week same time as always here on cc live for cmru.ca and feel loud images <laughs>